From the Times of North Oceania and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline. The podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week takes a unique look at Northwest Indiana's children. We'll hear about a looming issue throughout the state. I would say to get, you know, a doubling in total cases, uh, you really need an increase pretty much everywhere. And the workers striving to do what they can. Our volunteers are passionate people committed to kids, and they come in and it's a breath of fresh air in the entire system because they are enthusiastic and they are committed to helping the children. They're committed to helping the families. Times, Dan Cardin. Last time we checked in with Daniel Cardin, it was about a week prior to the presidential election. Since then, he's been doing all right. Just as a reminder, he's our statehouse reporter, and I'm calling him at his office in Indianapolis. Instead of covering candidates, you have to cover actual action, so it's a little bit more it's a little bit more meaningful since people are actually theoretically doing stuff at some point. There's a few routine things that come Daniel's way. One of them is a three-volume Indiana trial statistics report, which basically gives numerical information on what types of court cases have been happening in Indiana and factors about them. What and who appeared, how much, and more. And this year, there was a disturbing discovery. Child abuse and neglect cases in Indiana have doubled over the past decade. Well, Lake County has a high number of cases simply because it's the second most populous county in the state. But I would say to get, you know, a doubling in total cases, uh, you really need an increase pretty much everywhere. And I would say the biggest increases appear to be in, biggest increases percentage-wise, appear to be in rural counties where, you know, the state's opioid problem is centered, you know, where parents are, you know, abusing painkillers and then turning to heroin when they can't get the painkillers anymore and neglecting their children all the while. It's a serious issue that's impacted Indiana's children, including those in the region. Daniel learned a little more as well when he had the chance to join other reporters and sit down with Loretta Rush, the Chief Justice for Indiana's Supreme Court. Here's some audio of that meeting. Slight um, uptick on the cases. from last year, probably some of the biggest things I'm looking at are the number of cases involving um, abuse and neglected children. The Chins cases have just really exploded. I mean, it's directly related to the opioid, opioid crisis um, that we have going on now. Between the two. So the, during this calendar year, the Chins were up 33%. So part of what we, taking a look at this report, seeing what we have, um, seeing what those trends are to make sure that those courts are open, that these these kids aren't just sort of, uh, their their needs are a huge priority to the court. One of the focuses, as can be heard, is this thing called a CHINS case. It's an acronym that stands for Child in Need of Services. 
It's a case that develops after the Indiana Department of Child Services has received information about potential issues and performed a visitation or investigation. There's any number of scenarios that could come with a chintz case, but for the purposes of this episode, we're focusing on the ones that actually make it into a courtroom. According to the data, there were 17,491 of these chintz cases last year, almost 7,000 more than there were in 2006. In north of Sinaiana, a little over 1,400 happened in Lake County, a little over 170 in Porter County, and a little over 150 in Laporte County. So with the number of cases in Indiana having dramatically risen, one might wonder, what's being done about this? At least in regards to Indiana's General Assembly. I think it mostly comes down to money. So there's a limited pool of money that the General Assembly and the governor have to spend every year. They aren't very interested in increasing that pool of money by raising taxes. And when it comes down to it, they're going to prioritize things like education, transportation, and uh, you know things that voters see as important to them because that's how legislators and governors get to keep their jobs. So, uh, you know, I think they recognize that the opioid crisis is a problem and that drug addiction is a problem in the state, but the, let's say, the political rewards of putting a bunch of money into it aren't as high as hiring some extra teachers and building some new roads. So, until then... The judicial system in Indiana is doing what it can to help the children. The uh, court finds it is in the best interest of the child to grant the petition for adoption. What you're hearing is the inside of a courtroom. Judge Thomas Stefaniak is reading a statement and announcing the adoption of a child. He would later do 50 more that day. This happened almost three weeks ago. It's a great video worth watching sometime done by Times photographer John Watkins. And you can find it at the Times of North Ossiniana's Facebook page. The court adopts and approves the adoption, decree of adoption submitted by Attorney Oates. Thank you, I got through that. Thank you, Honor. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> judge Stefaniak is the senior judge of the Lake County Juvenile Court. So, I gave him a call to ask him some questions as well. In the room, he also had Magistrate Robert Van. And if uh, they believe there's enough uh, facts that of abuse and neglect or omission uh, to act when they're required, then they uh, they file a, a petition alleging a child to be a child in need of services. And uh, ultimately, if the court finds it warranted that the case should be filed, then there's uh, 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 an initial hearing uh, called a detention hearing. Kind of like the beginning of these cases, when child services becomes involved, there's any number of scenarios and outcomes that can happen. Often what does happen is there are services recommended, and the end goal is always, and also by law, reunification. It's not always like a dramatic scene out of law and order where children are taken out of the home, although that is a possibility that sometimes happens depending on how severe the circumstances are. Uh, generally, it can be a clinical assessment, um, a psychological assessment, a drug or alcohol uh, assessment and or uh, counseling or program. 
you know, if it's a, a situation regarding housing, then then uh, home-based services uh, would be put in place to try and help them, you know, get housing. Nonetheless, these cases can be traumatic for children. Their worlds can be turned upside down. So, of big importance throughout these events is a program that many counties, including Lake County, have called CASA, or Court-Appointed Special Advocate. It's a group of judicial workers, as well as trained volunteers, that listen to and advocate for services on behalf of the child. Almost definitely. Our volunteers got the biggest hearts you'll ever meet, as do our uh, CASA workers. It's a personal choice for so many of them. Uh, so yeah, their hearts are in it, most definitely, and it does uh, go a long way towards uh, helping that child out. Policies of the CASA program do not allow for the volunteers to talk with members of the news media. However, I did get to talk to... Rahana Adat Lopez, and I am the director of the Lake County CASA program. Rahana has been involved in different positions in the Indiana legal system, but a majority of her time has been spent working with juvenile court and children. And they uh, started the program. It's really something that came about through the courts and legislature where they saw that there was really a need for there to be another party to the case, but a party that could act as a voice for the child. And the court-appointed special advocates, the CASA, is appointed to represent the child's best interest. So in doing that, we go visit the children, maintain contact with the child, get to know you know, what the child's needs are, as well as what the child really wants as far as their case is concerned. We understand some of these children are young and they can't exactly tell you, but for the older children that are able to, to speak and have a voice, they're able to confer with their CASA and then the CASA advocates and lets the court know their wishes and desires in the case. Uh, we also investigate everything in the case and by investigate, I mean we gather documentation and information from uh, providers that provide services to the entire family. We also get information from the Department of Child Services. We attend meetings on behalf of the child. We, do, uh, we attend child and family team meetings. We attend school meetings. We are very much a part of the case and the process in an effort to properly and appropriately advocate for the child. There's, there's practical things that can come up. You know, we may go visit a child in a placement and realize that the child was taken, but none of the child's clothes went with the child. The child may not have clothes. The child may need a clothing voucher. Things such as that, maybe some dental care, medical care. We request those sorts of things if DCS hasn't. DCS usually will do that as well. Um, we've, you know, advocated or asked for... Um, haircuts, different events children children want to attend, we'll ask the court to allow them to attend those events. They may actually have a family member or someone they're very close to that they're very bonded to, but they haven't been able to see. If it's appropriate, we'll ask for visitation with that individual. A lot of times it's grandparents. Sometimes it can be hard to interact with the parents. But Rahana says CASA workers do all they can to level with them. You know, for parents, you know, I think we all need to have empathy for these parents because they've had either their children removed or now they've become a part of the system. And it's a difficult time just for them as much as it is, you know, for everyone involved and the children. And so we train our volunteers and all of our CASA staff is trained the same way to go in and actually, you know, don't um, 
put the parents on the defensive. Try and understand what they're going through and approach it in that way. Try to see how we can help rather than hurt the process. The Like I said, the main goal for everyone in this situation and a part of that works in this system to help these children is to reunite with the parents. We want the family unit to stay together. And, you know, it's wonderful when the children are still in the home because that, to me, is also a really good sign that this, the circumstances were such that the child had to be removed. She and Judge Stefaniak note, though, that the volunteers with CASA system are incredibly instrumental to helping the kids throughout the whole process. From visitations and interviews to accompanying them in a courtroom situation. Our volunteers are passionate people committed to kids. And they come in and it's a breath of fresh air in the entire system because they are enthusiastic and they are committed to helping the children. They're committed to helping the families. I think many of them also not only get or have a rapport with the child and become um, a part of the child's life during the case, but they also at times are there for the parents as well. There are parents that will call for the CASAs because they're able to speak to the CASA worker about, about certain issues that they don't believe that anyone else is listening to them about. They're passionate and they really are the backbone of this program. And the truth is, these workers are very important. They go above and beyond lending a helping hand. They tap into the basic human instinct of wanting someone to listen to you. Someone who can console and help. A friend, more or less. CASA doesn't go in and ask questions such as what a therapist would ask. We're not a therapist to the child. We're not a mentor to the child. We're there to help the child in any way we can to advocate for what's best for the child. So usually when we go visit, we want to make sure that the child is happy, healthy, and safe. They also work with another thing very central to our hearts and identities, home. Working as hard as they can to preserve or obtain it for Indiana's children, Indiana's future, one way or another. You know, I think it's difficult for anyone to see children go through what we see our children go through in a lot of these cases and I think it makes it even more difficult being a parent you it it hits home it's an emotional <clears throat> excuse me an emotional um, job for anyone um, doing this kind of work and I think that uh, you know our staff the CASA staff the volunteers they just they deserve kudos for <clears throat> excuse me doing the work they do it's amazing. And, you know, they they make a difference in these children's lives, and I don't think they even realize just this, even the smallest things you do in these cases have such a huge impact. You know, we can't shape the future for our kids, but we can shape our kids for the future. I think it just is, it, it rings home because that's what the staff and the volunteers do in this program. It's invaluable. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. Episodes typically come out every Monday, but Byline is now going to move to a bi-weekly schedule. So the next episode will be on December 19th. Until then, you can find any and all episodes at nwi.com slash podcasts. Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just type in NWI Byline in the search bar and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. 
We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we'd like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. Just drop us an email at nwibyline at gmail.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Daniel Carden, as well as myself, Kale Wilk. Finally, as always, a big thanks to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor, who is the creator of the show. She is the judge that has a final say on these productions and does a great job in making sure they turn out just fine. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you very much for listening. See you next time.